Hello, Valley Church. Mike Shields here. I am, my role is district superintendent of the EFCA. So there are four states that I oversee, including Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, and part of South Dakota. But we, have, we attend Valley. Valley's our home church. And when, uh, when asked to come and share this morning, uh, what a joy to be able to be a part of sharing the gospel at such a healthy church. And so if you're joining us here today and Valley's your church home, I want to encourage you, God is at work here in a powerful way. And if you are kind of just jumping in, you're looking at this, uh, and, and you haven't found a church home, I would encourage you to come through these doors. This is a place where you will be loved and encouraged in Christ. And you, you will meet the Lord here, but you're going to meet some amazing people and a staff that, that deeply loves uh, their Lord. We're going to talk about joy today, boundless joy. I, I know you're in a sermon series right now about boundless Christmas. And joy is, is something that it seems to elude us. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves at Christmas time. We, we seek to find joy. We seek to find maybe happiness in the, in the happenstances of life. But we, not only do we put so much joy on, but every event, we, we try to find some kind of meaning or purpose in every event. Getting, getting together with family, we are so starved for joy. I think in our culture, uh, there is a hunger for joy. And in fact, um, in every one of our families, we have, uh, and I have like a, you know, like crazy uncle that hates Christmas, hates everything. We all have somebody like that in our family. Here's a picture of mine. Uh, you know, obviously that's not truly my uncle. That guy is, you know, the antagonist. In one of my favorite Christmas shows, though, Santa Claus is coming to town. He's the oppressive mayor of Sombertown. I want to show you another picture, a millennial uh, nativity. In fact, in our culture, we have seen things change dramatically. You can buy this right now. It's for sale. I think I found it on eBay but it's going to cost you three or four hundred dollars. But isn't it interesting? You've got uh, the Amazon delivery on segways. You've got selfies happening with Mary and Joseph in the manger. And obviously you've got some organic uh, food over here. Uh, and anyway, we, we have mixed up a lot about what Christmas really is and, and the picture of what Christmas is. My kids are all millennials. I'm not taking a shot at millennials here this morning. But we want to merge stories too, don't we? Look at this picture. Santa Claus at the manger scene. And as families try to figure out and navigate this season, they, they, they merge stories together. My, my little two-year-old nephew, when he saw Santa at the mall, he yelled out, every time he sees Santa, he yells out, Satan! You know, anyway, um, that's one of those pictures that comes to mind. But I want to show you another picture here. This is way back in 1964. I was a two-year-old, and that was our second Christmas. Everything looks great. I mean, it's an, obviously an antique picture. I'm dating myself here. But as I look at that picture, I look at a, a child that seems to be doing well. Christmas is kind of happening. But behind the scenes, there's a story that I really haven't told many people. My father is an alcoholic. In fact, he's abusive to my mother. My mom was raised in a family where uh, there was sexual abuse in her home. 
My father passes away when I'm 13. He dies of cancer. The story behind that picture is a very chaotic family. A family that is really seeking to find joy and happiness in a world that really doesn't have the answers. And many of you have a story like that. Many of you have a story of your own life and your own journey and, and trying to find joy and happiness. And, and I'll tell you what, as we struggle with this, we have these memories that kind of flood back at times like this. And what I know about memory is it's the ability to encode and store and retain and then recall information of past experiences in the human brain. It can be thought of in general terms or a past experience can affect your current behavior. Your past can, can have a huge effect on the way that you treat people you love that are close to you. It can have an impact on the way that you hope and, and the way that you dream. It can have an impact on the way that you work and certainly on the way that you feel. A psychotherapist, Albert Ellis, had a model of cognitive therapy. There was the antecedent. In other words, what was the situation? What was your stressor in your life? What was the A? What was behind the way that you feel today? Secondly, what do you believe? What are the thoughts and beliefs that you have because of the antecedent? Something took place in your life. And then finally, what are the consequences of what happened to you, what you believe about what happened to you, and now the way that your life is lived out? And the reason I bring that up is because the world has one way of looking at how to find joy, how to experience joy, how to anticipate joy. And what we do is we go from one experience to another. We feel happy because something has happened in our life and we have a momentary feeling of what we think is joy. Then we go to another experience and we begin to feel some, what we think is joy, but it's happiness, another happening in our life. But I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time you experienced real joy? And I want to ask you a second question on top of that. How much are you living with joy right now? Because joy is not an experience a belief, and a consequence. It's not a feeling of happiness because something good happened in your life. Because you may have had a, a really messed up past like I did. But joy is found only in Christ our Lord. Now I think of uh, John chapter 15, verse 11. He said, my joy will be in you and your joy then will be complete. So the joy that we receive is a Holy Spirit work of God given to us so that we might understand who he is and live in this life with purpose and meaning and hope. I'll tell you what, here's the most used emoji in our culture, and it's joy. Joy to the world, a song that um, many of you know, you've sung it so many times. Joy to the world is the most sought-after Christian hymn for the season. People are, are hungry for joy. In fact, Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World over 300 years ago. And we think of it as a Christmas song. And it only hints at the birth of Christ in the lyrics. And what it's really all about, it's a general purpose song of praise. 
The words were inspired by Psalm 98, and we're going to jump there in just a couple of minutes. But I want you to know that instead of trying to experience happiness during this season and going from more anxiety and more running and more stress and the inability to measure up to others' expectations and maybe even end the season with even more loneliness than you began, I want to challenge you this morning to find your ultimate joy in Jesus Christ. To find your hope in Him instead of the same old feelings another year. In the midst of the season, He is the only one that can bring good news of great joy. Remember that true joy is always connected to the good news of God concerning a Savior, Christ the Lord. My settled hope is in Christ. My pain, I didn't share my pain with you because I, I wanted you to feel sorry for me. I wanted to share the pain and my journey with you to let you know that I don't find my hope in this material world. I did at one time and came to the end of myself. And when you get to the end of yourself and, and you're at a place where you need to make a decision, are you going to follow Christ or are you going to live for yourself? You realize the only place you can find real joy is by someone interacting from outside of this material world, and that can only be God. That can only be the God of the Scriptures. C.S. Lewis spent many years of his life a, a very committed atheist. He has a reputation for being brutally honest about his thoughts and feelings. He grew up in a church, and he rejected the rigidity and legalism of that church and what he experienced there. In his book, though, Surprised by Joy, Lewis recounts that it was largely this word joy that led him back to faith. He could find no other lasting source of joy outside of the person and work of Christ. He found that what the angels had said was indeed true, that great joy is a result of re receiving the truth of Jesus Christ and committing your life to follow his purpose. In Luke 2, it says, The glory of the Lord shone around them, and glory is a, a heavy word in the Greek. And in the Greek, it, it implies a weightiness, a heaviness of abundance. And some of you are aware in physics that two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. And that means if two bodies need to occupy the same space at the same time, the denser or heavier or the greater of the two will always win out. It will always displace the other. And the Greek word doxa, or glory, what the angels came to announce was a new reality, that God had become human in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Think of it as a beautiful collision of heaven and earth. Up there has come down, and human reality has collided with God's reality. And when that happens, the weightier of the two always wins the glorious reality always displaces human reality. And that good news is great joy for all people. So no matter where you're at today, as I jump into the text right now, Psalm 98, no matter where you are at, I'm speaking to you, the Holy Spirit, hopefully through me, speaking to you so that you might understand that God is desiring to draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. And as we look at the text, boundless joy begins with the heart. It has to begin with the heart. 
Remember, true joy is always connected to the good news of God concerning a Savior. Look at Psalm 98, verses 1 to 3. We'll put it up here on the screen. Sing a new song to the Lord, for He has performed wonders. His right hand and His holy arm have won Him victory. Victory over sin and over death. The Lord has made His victory known. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. If you think about it, his love and his faithfulness are what we cling to for times of encouragement and hope, the faithfulness of God, and he's revealed it to us in his son. He's given it to us in Christ, our wonderful Savior. Historically, we know that not everyone's opened their heart to Jesus. And you may be somebody today who's never bowed the knee to Christ. When he was born, King Herod was unwilling to surrender. And Jesus, uh, even in the Magi from the East, inquired about the birthplace of a new king. And to Herod, Jesus was a threat. In fact, Herod was so paranoid about somebody trying to usurp his throne that he even murdered three of his own sons. He was not about to tolerate a rival king, even if he was just an infant. But first of all, I just want you to know the wise men came from regions around Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and it is likely they dabbled in astronomy, sorcery, and magic arts, which is why they're called the Magi. There There were supposedly three of them, but we don't know that. We only say three because there were three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, but the Bible tells us something about them that's very important. They came to worship this king. So Herod denies uh, the king. The Magi come to worship him. And in worshiping him, they come to that scene, not in the nativity. They come to a home about a year later where the Magi showed up. And we understand that what made them travel, they were not Jews, they were Gentiles, but they had read the readings of a Jewish prophet named Daniel while in Babylon. And Daniel wrote predictions about the coming Messiah. And these wise men believed the prophecies. And while Herod uh, saw Jesus as a threat, the wise men saw Jesus as a gift, and they came to worship him. Very, very clear. Let me ask you today, I mean, there are really two ways to interpret and find the joy in Christ or to really deny Christ and and kind of walk your own way. And we all spend part of our lives kind of doing our own thing and and trying to find our own hope and encouragement and happiness and maybe even try to find our own joy. But the effects of our heart, our willingness, we need to be settled in God, in his weighty glory, in his Son. And that is a challenge as we think about having a sense uh, of, an, of an incredible joy, a profound joy, a sense of, uh, of the weightiness of the message of the gospel. The best example I can think of, of the weightiness of this transformation in Christ is the way that we look at even relationships like the marriage relationship. Uh, I remember um, some years ago, our son-in-law, Trent, who is, he's just an awesome guy. Our kids uh, we're blessed to marry um, godly young people. This, this um, son-in-law, though, has been a tremendous blessing. But he had planned to ask our daughter to marry him. He talked to me about it. He got my okay. 
But the day that they were going to, um, he was going to uh, ask her to marry him, our daughter, they were going to go to Millennial Park in Chicago. And it, and it was a pouring down, uh, you know, just a thunderous rainstorm. And, my, and our daughter did not know, obviously, that he was going to ask her to marry him that night. And so they got out of their car and they're walking to Millennial Park and they're actually kind of running and covering their heads. And, and she's wondering, why did you drag me out here in a rainstorm? And finally, he gets down on a knee and he proposes. And what began for her as a question mark of what are you doing turned into a, a moment of, of immense joy for her. And I want you to know when we received the phone call from her about their engagement, what happened was that frustration about running in the rainstorm, trying to get to Millennial Park, she finally understood what it was all about. Now they're planning a wedding. What a great reality check. And at Christmas, what we see is realities collide. The heart of the good news and the heart of the question is that it makes God's news a source of joy in a new reality. We have a new reality when we, we experience the gospel, when we understand what Christ means and what he's doing in our lives. And as Christmas realities collide, that is the heart of the good news. And the heart of the question is what makes the good news a source of joy or a new reality? Isaac Watts composed 750 songs in his lifetime. Joy to the World, his most famous. It's the most published Christmas song in North America an indicator that our world is starved for joy. So boundless joy begins with the heart. And then secondly, boundless joy includes a present faith. There is something about the depth of our faith and our walk with Christ that guides and leads us. God, through his Holy Spirit, will, will fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we can have the kind of faith to make it through any obstacle that's in our path. And we can find a boundless joy in that. Look at verses four through six of Psalm chapter 98 again. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant, shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the melodious song, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout triumphantly, triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. And so in the midst of our journey, we are called to have a faith that brings us to the seat of our king in worship, that brings us to his throne in worship. The psalm speaks to what a savior will do, what that new reality that we have in Christ, as we have, have really sought happiness from one happening to another, when we know Christ in a personal way, we are given the Holy Spirit of God and we have a new reality and we can have a settled joy about our future. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He extends an invitation to everyone. If you are questioning today, God, will you accept me? God, I've been on my own journey, and, and I've made a mess of my life. You know, the one thing is true. Uh, my journey ended uh, myself um, without Jesus Christ as a 17-year-old, a kind of trying to do everything to make things work, to feel good, to find happiness in life. 
And what I found is when you guess at everything, you get almost everything wrong. And you may have been guessing at life, trying to find your happiness. And it may have led you down a path where you're right now, today, you're kind of at the end of, of that journey and you really want to look to Christ and you don't know what to do next. I want you to know that there are people in this church and there are others who likely have been praying for you that would, would love to kind of walk you through and a deeper understanding of what Jesus Christ has done in their life. But as we look forward to what's happening uh, in our lives, we have this faith, this deep faith that gives us a boundless joy. If the gospel, though, that you're sharing, I want you to know, isn't too good to believe you're not sharing the gospel from God's word. Because I am still overwhelmed at the fact that Jesus Christ would die for me, that my sins could be forgiven, and that I could become a child of the King. I didn't deserve it. There's nothing about my behavior. There's nothing about my life that earned a moment of God's heaven. I'm still amazed with the gospel every single day of my life. He alone will, will love you unconditionally and faithfully when you live in that truth, a new reality, and that boundless joy is the result. The joy you receive from your Savior is weighty. It is life-changing. It is filled with God's glory. That, the hymn, Joy to the World, also says, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods and rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Knowing Jesus Christ puts your life in perspective. There's comfort here. It's a new reality. When our kids were little, I don't know how my wife trained them this way, but when they were little, they always came around, when they were afraid, came around the side of the bed to my side of the bed. And they would get about three inches from my face and they would go, Dad. And of course, I, you know, I'm startled in the middle of the night and, and, and lucky I didn't just kind of, you know, flail my hands and, and injure them. But for some reason, they came to me in the middle of the night when they were afraid and they needed a source of comfort and encouragement. And when that happened, as their father, you, you, know, I, you know what I didn't say? I didn't say, get back to bed. Deal with it. I picked them up in my arms, and I held them, and I walked them back to their room, and I tucked them in, and I sat with them, and I prayed for them, because the reality they were living in is they had a dad and they had a mom who loved them deeply. They were not alone. And I want you to know in the Christian life, we have a heavenly father who never, ever leaves us alone. He never leaves us to kind of, well, just make it through life. We can have a settled joy in knowing that he sees us and that he is with us and he is sovereignly watching over every aspect of our lives. But you know how hard it is to, to really grasp that in real life? There is, um, when we accept Christ, there is this deeper uh, reality. You will never spiritually die if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. You will physically die, but you will never spiritually die. You're already living part of your eternal life. You're living it because you have new life in Christ. And I think about the ordinary things of life that we're called to enjoy. 
I want you to see a picture of my wife and our grandkids. And this picture was one that was not staged. It was taken just at Thanksgiving this year. And my wife is the greatest gift to me this side of, of heaven because she is teaching me how to reside in that kind of joy. That was a moment of just hanging out with our grandkids. I get too hurried in everything I do. I miss opportunities for these kinds of, of incredible interactions that bring a sense of just pure joy. And in that, you realize there are only two things that will last for all of eternity. As a follower of Christ, we need to focus on only two things, the Word of God and people. Those are the only things that will last for all of eternity. And, and I uh, brag about my wife, but she has taught me how to abide in that and find joy in the beautiful things of life and things that will matter for a long, long time. We need to slow down, don't we? We need to recognize that God is doing beautiful things around us and we need to experience the joy in them because God gives them to us as a precious gift. We also need to know how to laugh. When I was uh, just uh, 18 years old, I got my first car. I don't have a picture of it, but it was, a, it was a Monte Carlo. Can you imagine a 1972 Monte Carlo? It was a, it was a cool car. And, and I met, the problem is I met my wife, Tracy. She wasn't my wife yet, but we met uh, when I was 20. And that car didn't last until I was 20. When I was 20, by that time, I was driving a Pinto now. It was all that I could afford. I'm going to, uh, going to college, and a small college. Um, I'm going to go on to seminary to be a pastor. And now I have this Pinto that, by the way, if you hear about Pintos, one thing you'll know about them is if you hit them, if you rear-ended them back in the day, they might blow up. That was one of the things about them. So you're always kind of on this dangerous journey when you're driving them. But when I met her, that was my ride. That was my car. Can you imagine being uh, heading, heading to seminary, driving a Pinto, and, uh, you know, there's holes in the floorboard. It was just a mess. It was kind of like a go-kart. Uh, it was kind of a chick magnet, really. And, uh, and, and here I am. What do you say to somebody like that? You're like, hey, you want to go out on a date? Be careful not to drop anything on the floor. It's going to go through and hit the ground. But when I went to meet her parents for the very first time, she was at her home with her parents and we were in college together and she had gone home. I parked my car two blocks away around the corner and uh, her dad came out the door and he kind of looked around and he's like, where did you park? And I said, well, I couldn't find a close parking spot. So I kind of went down around the corner. But I want you to think about that. By the way, if you ever want to, uh, we need to laugh. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. We need to be able to laugh at the simplicity of our lives. But being a pastor for this many years, let me give you a little tip. If you are ever in a situation where you want to get rid of people and they ask you, what do you do for a living? Just tell them that you're a pastor. They'll leave very, very quickly. It happens really, really quick. So just a little tip. But theologian Elton Trueblood stated, I don't trust the theology of any person who doesn't laugh. But he's not talking about laughing inappropriately. He's not talking about laughing at inane things. It's laughter that rests knowing all will be well. That my Savior has my life. All's going to be well. I'm being held today in the secure arms of God who rules all things, every molecule of dust, 
And we need to receive Christ, and that's our very, very first important step. And if you receive Christ, you are asking him to forgive your sins. You are receiving him as Savior and Lord. And you're also receiving him to reign in your life and to give you a peace and a joy that only he can give. You can't make joy happen. It's something God must do in your life. There comes a time when you have to admit that you're not, you're not fooling anybody, that people know. They know if you have a peace that surpasses all understanding. They know. People around you know if you're hurting. It's okay to reach out and ask for help. I came to a point in my life where I heard the gospel for the very first time. I was, I was a seriously depressed teenager. I told you about my life. It was a mess. But when I heard the gospel for the very first time, I repented of my sin. I came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, my life hasn't been happy all the way through, but God's given me a settled joy about who he is and about where I'm headed and about the meaning of my life and the way that I can lay down my life. Because joy is a byproduct of just living a life obedient to Christ. Third thing and final thing is boundless joy includes a future hope. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, let it resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the people he will judge fairly. In joy to the world, it says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. The future hope for you, even if you feel forgotten, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel defective and lonely, in Christ there is hope, there is encouragement. You may be overwhelmed with anxiety or depression or fear. And we find a lot of people are hurting this time of year. It's good to ask if you think somebody is, is going through a time of difficulty. It may be that they this past year walked away from the fresh grave of somebody they love. Check on them. Reach out to them. They may have a settled joy in Christ, but they may need your encouragement. They may need you coming alongside them and encouraging them. They may be hearing difficult news. It may be something completely different than the death of a loved one. It may be that they made a promise to their spouse and their spouse didn't keep their promise. It might mean that they've, they've heard a, uh, from their, their doctor a diagnosis of something going on physically in their life. Maybe they've suffered a miscarriage in this past year. And, and the weight of that is just too much to bear. We need each other. We need encouragement from one another. There is a boundless joy in Christ. But we need to come alongside one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. Um, God uses his people to come and, and bring encouragement. And I, I think the text is very, very clear in Psalm 98, that we're looking at the rivers clapping their hands, the mountains are shouting for joy. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge righteously and all the peoples fairly. God will deal with us rightly. That his love is real. 
and he reaches out to us. And sometimes the very way that God reaches out to us is by bringing someone across our path to be an encouragement and share hope when we need it. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And there's nothing we can do about that. You cannot make God not love you. He will love you. He created you with a purpose eternally. He knows every day ordained for you. They're written in his book before one of them ever came to be. So we put away pride. We put away selfishness. We put away indifference and entitlement. Anything that hinders us from coming to Christ, our Savior and our Lord, all the depravity of our sin is wiped away in Christ and dealt with at the cross. doesn't mean that I'm, again, feeling good every day. I don't wake up feeling happy every day. In fact, there are times in my life that I, I need to go talk to somebody because the pain and the weight of my past is so heavy. And there are times that I share with my wife that there are things in my, in my life that cause me to be very sad and discouraged at times. But I don't put the weight of the burden of joy on her. I know that my Lord meets me there. She's a great encouragement, but I know it's my Lord that gives me a settled joy. There's not a person in your life that can make you feel joyful. And they're not, never meant to be. That's only something your God can do. Maybe today is that new reality for you. That receiving Christ, seeking his forgiveness, the gateway to true and real joy. I'm going to do a quick survey in this room. How many of you are control freaks in this room? Anybody? Always, there's always a couple. How many of you think your spouse is a control freak? Then everybody raises their hand, right? I think about the way that we need to give up control. Mary gave up control of her life as a young woman, the mother of, of Jesus. Joseph gave up his reputation. The shepherds left their posts to hurry to the stable. The wise men gave from their riches and disobeyed King Herod. They gave up control, each of them in different ways to approach Christ we may need to give up our time and our talents and our treasures and be willing to serve God in any way that he calls. In serving in the EFCA, we need young church planters. We need uh, young couples who will say, we'll go wherever God calls us to go because we know the gospel is important enough to take to every county in this four-state area that we serve. We're praying that God will raise up people like that. If that's your heart, you need to talk to me. But whatever it is in your life that God is calling you to do today, this Christmas, you will find the greatest joy when you surrender to him, when you find your joy only in him. Finally, just a couple of things I want you to know. In uh, how do we get there from here? Two really quick things. The cares of life can quickly dull your sense of joy. I know that because in my own life, that has been my experience. The cares of life can quickly dull your sense of joy. And that's why we're reminded today that joy is recaptured when we bow in quiet faith to God. Let me give you an example. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38 as we close. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, 
And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. You wonder how Mary could walk through all of this trial and have settled peace in her heart and even joy because the Lord was with her. But she was deeply troubled, even for a moment, even momentarily deeply troubled at this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It wasn't because of her uh, perfect behavior, because none of us are perfect. She found favor with God. She found the favor of God by God's own choosing, as he does with you and I. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born is to be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing. Here's Mary's response. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. What an amazing picture of a heart that is sold out to Christ. A heart that is filled with joy. God, may it be to me as you have said. I want to close in prayer. Father, we have talked about joy. We've talked about the boundless joy that is ours in Christ. And we see in the life of Mary, we see in the heart of this dear woman who heard from you that nothing is impossible with God. That settled her heart. She placed her faith and her confidence in you. And right now, so many of us need to do that, to experience the joy that is ours from your hand. God, may you work in our hearts in many different ways. Every single person, every single person who hears this message, may they hear from you. May you be their encouragement. May you be their boundless joy. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.